He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Hallelujah. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for your word which says not neglecting to meet together or to assemble ourselves together as is the habit of some of us. But that as we see the day nearing, we should assemble more. In accordance with your word, we are gathered here this Sunday. Let our meeting here not be in vain. Let our meeting here not be unto any man but unto you. Grant me the words of God that come from the heart of the Father. Let the words that I speak to your people be spirit and let it be life. Let our lives be transformed and affected forever. And let the Holy Spirit have its way through these lips. I humble myself under your mighty hand so that you will exalt yourself. Let your word be exalted above everything else in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Take your seats. Praise the Lord. It's nice to be running to the finishing line. Amen. And uh, we thank God for being so gracious to us um, yesterday. And I trust that he will be good to us again today. Amen. 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 And I thank God for the privilege and honor to be here. And um, because it's not everybody that God calls, first of all. And it's not everybody that when God has called has even a place to express God's word. And so I thank God for this opportunity. Sometimes I wonder why out of the billions of people on this earth, God chose us, but that's why it makes it special. And it's a very humbling experience. And I thank God for his grace. Amen. I want to thank my husband, the bishop, under whose covering I stand. He's been my pastor for many years. He has taught me many things, including the seven great principles upon which my Christian life has hinged. And um, meeting him by the grace of God, he was not my beloved when I met him. He was my pastor. Amen. He was a leader of my fellowship. And God used him to take my Christian life to another dimension. And when I met my husband, I was baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, but I didn't use to speak it. 
And he encouraged me. He said, okay, start using your gift of tongues. Okay, for one week, speak five minutes. Then the next week, 10 minutes. Then the next week, 15 minutes. And now I can pray a whole day. So I thank God for his life. Amen. This morning, I would like to share with you on things that we should not despise. Things that a Christian should not despise. There are certain things a Christian should not despise. And there are many, but this morning I'll share a few with you. To despise means to look down on, to disrespect, to take value away from, to treat as if it is nothing. To make it something that you just step on and trample upon. To devalue something. Or to treat something with contempt. That's what to despise means. Now there are certain things that you can despise. That's are good to despise. Jesus himself, the Bible says, there was something in Jesus' life that he despised. And that thing helped him to move on with God. So there are certain things that we are allowed to despise. And there are certain things we are not allowed to despise. Amen. Now, when you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it gives an example of things that you are allowed as a Christian to despise. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. The New Living Translation says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor, Beside God's throne. Amen. Amen. So this is a clear example of things that if you are a Christian, you are allowed to despise, to look down on. The Bible says that Jesus looked at the joy that was set before him. When he had to go to the cross, he endured it because who for the joy that was set before him, just like when you are running a race, you are looking at the silver cup. You are looking at what you will get. I don't know how far Switzerland went in the World Cup. Have you come back home? Wow. And Ghana has gone home. Then you are very powerful. Or we are very powerful. Amen. But for the joy that is set before you, that you will be called the champion of this. Or... You survived in this league. Or you will get this uh, cup. Or you will get this money. Because of the joy that is set before you. 
you endure. And the Bible says that Jesus despised the shame of the cross. To be able to go to the cross to die for us, to be able to shed his blood for us, to be able to give a, a, a recompense for our sin. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Because blood re represents life. So unless the blood was shed, we, we will be stuck in our sins. You know, God is a God of principle. So blood had to be shed for our sins to be forgiven. But not the blood of bulls and goats. That was under the Old Testament. But something that will be there forever. And because of that, Jesus looked at the shame associated with the cross and disregarded and despised it. It doesn't matter the shame. I don't care about the shame that I have to go through. You see, when we put him on the cross, we put a little loincloth around him out of respect. But Jesus was actually crucified naked. And even of all the criminals in this world, I don't know anybody who is killed even if by lethal injection, but not naked. And even lethal injection is a, is a more respectful way for somebody to die. I was once witnessing to a Jewish guy I met at the mall because he made the mistake in America about two years ago of coming to, you know, woo me. Oh, young lady, where do you stay? And I said, hey, this young boy, he doesn't know what he's about. And then I asked him, do you believe in Jesus? He said, well, I'm Jewish. I said, you are Jewish, but salvation is for all. And he said, you know, my main problem is the fact that God can be killed by men. It doesn't make sense. That men should be able to have so much power over somebody who is supposed to be God. I, I can't accept that. It's even blasphemy. That God can be killed by men. Do you know how powerful God is? For God to be killed by men? And I said, yes. But he had to make his son to become a man like us. And to be crucified. So that salvation and redemption will come to us. Now Jesus was crucified naked. A crown of thorns was put on his head. Anybody at all could slap him. When he said he was Thirsty, they gave him vinegar to drink. They were mocking at him. If you are the son of God, come down. But the Bible says, all oh, the shame, he despised it. He said, the shame I'm going through is nothing to be compared with the glory and the redemption that I'm bringing to man. So because of that, I would despise the shame and look at the joy that is set before me. That is what he did. So as Christians, it is okay to disregard certain things that will not help us to run the race properly. Or to despise certain things, like despising the shame of the cross. That one is allowed. But there are times when we move into other things that we are not permitted to despise. And yet we despise it. And because of that, the hand of God can be against us. Amen. One of the first things you must not despise is your birthright. Genesis chapter 25. Your birthright. Genesis chapter 25. Are you there? Genesis is the first book. You know everything, but you don't know the books of the Bible. 
It's about the popular story of Jacob and Esau. Verse 29, and Jacob sought pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, or food, or porridge, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, behold, I'm at the point to die. And what profit shall the birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink, and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Amen. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, there was a law in Israel. And that law made everything that came out first was very sacred to God. Amen. And God had made a rule that there are certain things you should not despise. Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. I'm sorry, I cannot preach my own mind. I have to preach the word of God. Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. Are we there? Hmm. If you are there, say amen. amen. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 90, the Bible says, The first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not seize a kid in his mother's milk. Amen. amen. And then in Exodus 13, verse 2, which you may not be able to turn to, but it's okay. Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. Whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Esau was the firstborn. There was a law in Israel that God had initiated. Anything that is first, that comes out of the womb, whether it's animal or even human being, it is for me. So he came into this world with his birthright from God. And he came and he was hungry. And he said to his brother, give me food to eat. The brother didn't say, I won't give you unless you give me something. But he said, give me food to eat and then you can have <laughs> my birthright. And Jacob said, oh really? Then you have to swear. Because Jacob valued the birthright and knew what it was. And Esau despise the birthright. The Bible says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. And so you say, oh, but how can God have two children? He hates one and they love. Because one of them does not value his birthright. And the Bible says, thus did Esau despise, look down on, disregard, kick, it's nothing. His birthright. In the same way, the Bible says, you have been bought with a price. 
You have been bought with the price of Jesus' blood. You have been bought with the price of God sending his only begotten son. At that time, he didn't have many. It was all he had. It was when Jesus died that he became the firstborn of many brethren. But before Jesus died, God had only one. You, even your five children, when you are asked for one, you will not like to give. Yet God sent his son so that the world through him might be saved. Jesus has paid such a high price for your salvation. The Bible says if you receive him, you believe in his name, you pray a prayer inviting him into your life, you recognize that Jesus died on the cross for you, that God raised him from the dead, that you are a sinner, and you receive God's gift, you become a child of God. That is your birthright. That is your spiritual birthright. But sometimes you despise it for something earthly, like porridge, like soup, like food. Anything that will satisfy your senses, you put your birthright aside. Momentary gratification. So what is it about salvation? What is it that I'm born again? What is it that I'm a child of God? It's nothing. So you despise. And we despise our birthright. When you are born again, there are certain things that come to you by inheritance. When my father died, there are certain things that came to me by inheritance. I didn't have to sweat. I didn't have to do anything. But you still need wisdom to manage what you manage. And what my father left me has not been easy for me to manage even up to today. So when I add what all my siblings go, I say, hey, how did this man manage? Because me, I can't manage. I'm going to remember, oh, this tenant. <laughs> Please, eh? Bring the contract. And this other. I try, but it's not easy. I don't know how he did it. But just by being his child, so many things come to you. Just by being his child. Amen. Amen. I was there and then, I get mail, and then I get followed by phone calls. Your father left you this. Could you please proceed to the UK to sign for it and to do this and that? Hey, you just come into things. Things that I have not built myself, even outside Ghana. They just come to you because you are a child. Nowadays, when I'm working in my house, minding my own business, and my husband will be calling me, Tycoon, are you there? <laughs> And I said, what is this new name? Said, hey, since your father died, you have become a tycoon. I said, I don't like this name. You know? And I said, when it comes to the night, maybe I'm sitting there doing my eye. I said, hey, tycoon, you are looking at how far your things are going. Eh? <laughs> what a shock. And then now, even when some bills, I said, tycoon, you can take care of it, can't you? But all these things happen without my doing anything. When we went to the courthouse, they just read the will. I leave this to this. I leave this to this. I leave this to this. And then I was being called everywhere. I was just at this bank who called me. Oh, please come. Come and sign the shareholders. My father didn't reveal some of the things to us. So to, I was texting my son yesterday. I said, I knew my father loved me. But he told me that, you know, Sometimes it looks as if I'm disciplining you too much. But when I die, 
you see, I loved you more than you even know. And it's, it's happened to me, literally. You know, so sometimes I'm just there and then I'm just crying. Because of my birthright, I didn't have to do anything. I didn't even choose my father. I didn't choose my mother. It just comes to you in the same way in Christ. So many things come to you because of your birthright. Because of your birthright, you have access into the throne room of God. Look at even human beings who are not anything. Before you are going to see them. Appointment. Huh? Even small me, when you are coming to see me. Well, in lighters, there's not so much protocol. But when you come, they have apportioned the time. Five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, five minutes. Whether you have finished saying what you are saying, say there are other people who also need pastoral care. So thank you for your time. But please, the bishop is being waited for for other people. So this way, please. Yes, next. <laughs> but in the throne room of God, he doesn't even give you time. He doesn't give you an appointment. You don't even knock. You just come. And you say, Father, are you there? And he just responds. Because it's your birthright. The Bible says in Philippians 2, he has given us a name that is above all names. That at the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee, including the knee of those who don't believe, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ, that name has been given to you. That's right. That when something is coming against you, there's an attack, you just have to say, in the name of Jesus. And it has to be backed by faith. Right. You see when they say in the name, when you go somewhere, say in the name of Obama, the doors will immediately open. But this name is greater than Obama. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And it's all come to you. Because it's your birthright. Whenever I'm in worship, I just say, God, I'm so surprised I don't have to book an appointment to see you. I'm so surprised I can be myself in your presence. I thank you for the name of Jesus and for the blood. The Bible says they overcame him by the blood. You have access to the blood because of your birthright. You belong to a church because of your birthright. Your birthright in Christ makes you part of the body of Christ. But you despise it. Sometimes when you have to use the name of Jesus, you are rather going to look for things that are less powerful. We may say, oh, but Esau, why did he do that? But we do the same. We despise our birthright. That is why you are the temple of God, but you are using your body as a kiosk because you are despising your birthright. The Bible says, know you not that you are the temple of God. You have been bought with a price. A price. But because you see yourself not as a temple, but as a kiosk, that's why you give to every man who comes. To take some. Yeah. We despise our birthright. We despise what Christ has done. And God doesn't take it lightly. After sending his only son to the cross, we can't just despise everything he's doing. Esau despised his birthright. Turn to the person next to you and say, do you value your birthright? <laughs> do you value the church that God has given you? I'll come to that. Do you value the people God puts in your life? 
we despise our birthright. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, still on Esau. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. Verse 16 talks about looking diligently. As there be amongst us a profane person, the Bible says. Amen. Amen. Hebrews. Chapter 12, verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one muscle of meat, one hour of pleasure, so-called, one hour of fleshly gratification, who for one muscle of meat, sold his birthright. Oh, I give up my Christianity. I give up my work with God. I give up my relationship with God for that foolish boy who doesn't know where he's going and is constantly singing to you. Lay your troubles on my shoulders. Put your worries in my pocket. His worries himself, his own worries don't fit into his pocket and yours. And yet you sell your best rights. Who for one muscle of meat sold his birthright. Amen. Amen. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. When the Bible says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, the Bible uses the word profane, which means babelos. It means somebody who despises things that are holy. And nowadays, we despise a lot of things that are holy. God's word is holy, we despise it. God's house is holy, we despise it. There are things we can even do in the house of God. In a high school in Ghana, they fornicate behind the altar. Yes. Well, mom muscle of meat sold his birthright. And then he was rejected. So when he came to Esau and said, Oh, Jacob has stolen my birthright. It wasn't stolen. He had already given it up. And what was playing out was what he had already sold. What is porridge? Your birthright can get you more than porridge. Your birthright can get you more than a muscle of meat. But you give it up. Amen. The Bible says, I was talking about the Christian family yesterday. It says that, Paul says, I bow my knees unto God, under whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You belong to a family, a spiritual family. You despise that birthright, that God. The place that God has given you in the family, you despise it. It's nothing to you. The first thing we must not despise is our birthright. Amen. Amen. The second thing is not to despise God and his word. Things you can despise. You can despise your birthright or our birthright. And we can also despise God and his word. Second Samuel chapter 12. Say, Lord, have mercy on me. Verse 9. 
David, King David goes to take somebody's wife of all the women in Israel. And then he covers it up very nicely. And David was not intending to marry the woman like all most men. He was intending to just have a moment of pleasure. Did you ever, how do you know? Because he brought the man from the battlefield so that the man will go home and it will look like he has slept with his wife and made her pregnant. And the man too was too faithful, so he didn't go. So then David was getting into hotter waters. And he decided that if that's the case, then I have to get rid of this man so that the disgrace will be a bit controlled. You know, that's how sin operates. One sin always leads to another. And the, the next one is always worse than when you started. So then he thinks he has covered up everything with Joab. So Joab puts Uriah in the front line where he will be killed. And when he's killed, he sends somebody with a coded message. Go and tell David that the, the battle has gone well. And when you say that, he will understand. You see, I told you yesterday that my father was very strict. So when I was growing up, whenever I even had a beloved, when my beloved calls me, he would say 7 p.m., it's too late. And we lived in different cities. So we devised a plan. So when my beloved Bishop Doug wanted to call me, he would let his sisters call me with a female voice. <laughs> and when the sisters call me, my father thinks it's a girl. So he'll say, Mommy, somebody wants you. So then I'll come. When I come and then I take the phone, then my husband will come on it. Hi, baby, how is it? But we also had a lot of extensions in the house. So sometimes, depending on where I pick the phone, my father may pick it, you know? So, and if he picked it by mistake, he would hear that it's a male voice. So sometimes he would also call me himself. The person says, he was going to come, and it's my husband, and I can't speak. Then I'll just say, oh, coded. Then it means my father is there. <laughs> so it was the same message David was, Joab was giving to David, like, coded. It's done. You know, so not ordinary language. You use another language. And so he thought that he had covered up his act and everything was okay. Then God sent the prophet Nathan. Because the Bible says that all things are naked unto him with whom we have to do. And now there's, there's no fear of God in the church because we don't have a God consciousness. The fear of God has gone out. We are sometimes worse than the world. The Bible says that it is reported amongst you that there is fornication. And such fornication that is not even named among unbelievers. Because when people are in Christ and they backslide, the Bible says their condition is worse than when they first came to know God. Amen. Amen. So then he sends the prophet Nathan and he says, this is God's word to David. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Amnon. Verse 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. The first one, God says, you have despised my commandment. 
And in this verse, it says, you have despised me. So these are things that we can despise. <laughs> when you despise God's word, when you are doing anything, you don't even think about God's word. What is God's mind about what I'm doing? It doesn't matter. What would Jesus do in a situation like this? It doesn't matter. You know, sometimes I've gone to, to counsel people. The word of God says, I'm sorry, I can't do the Bible. Then you are not a child of God. Because God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can do his word. But we come to the place where we do not just do it, but we despise the commandment of God. We despise God himself. He said, you despise my commandments and then you despise me. These two things. And that's how we live as Christians. We don't, when we are going to marry, we don't go by God's word. We go by our own ideas, feelings, what we think, what we, what, when we are living our daily lives, we live according to our own things. There's no consciousness of God. And Europe in particular, which was built on Christian doctrine, has created such a vacuum. No wonder other religions are filling the vacuum because nature abhors a vacuum. And also because other people come and say, these people are faithless, they don't believe in anything. We must introduce what we, we believe. And that is a chaotic situation we find ourselves in. That is why we have public holidays like Ascension, Pentecost, because we were built on the Bible and the word of God. And the word of God used to mean so much to Europe. But we turned our backs and we have despised God's word. So it's old-fashioned. Oh, there's no God. Oh, what's he saying? Oh, Job said, I esteem your word more than my necessary food. And the reason why we despise the word is even we don't even know it. We don't even know the word before we will despise it. And we don't invest in anything spiritual. Everything is outward. We don't believe in getting messages. I think sometimes some people believe, oh, messages is somebody's business. Well, legally, if somebody uh, preaches a word and creates a message, he has a copyright, legal copyright over the message, and he can do whatever he wants with it. But by the grace of God, in Lighthouse, any message that is sold goes into nobody's personal pocket. Goes back into the ministry. And that's why Bishop even makes it so free. Podcast, his website, free books. Have it. Let the word of God go. Makane, download, whatever. But we will not. We go to YouTube. And we download things that will not help us. Job said, I esteem your word more than my necessary food. But we, even averagely receiving the word, we don't. Every day our shopping list is things that we will feed this body that will be eaten by maggots and put in the ground and be finished. Those are where our investments are. And so let me save for the future. Let me secure the future. But if an incurable disease hits you and the doctor says nobody can do anything, it's only God that can give you a miracle. Psychologists cannot heal homes. They can't heal marriages. They can't heal lives. But the word of God has been sent 
according to Psalm 107, he sent forth his word to heal us and to deliver us from all our destruction, but we will not look for even the word. And even to avail ourselves to be in church where we'll hear the word of God, we won't come. When we get up, we say, oh, look at the weather. Today is raining. It's finished. Oh, today I don't feel like, but when you don't feel like, you still go to work. That work that's not even life-giving. That work that you can be laid off. That God that never changes, you don't have time for him. But as for that work, you don't despise it. You respect it fully. Because thou hast despised my word. Thou hast despised my commandments. And thou hast despised me. It's not easy to be a Christian. There are people in the church... It's not easy for me to forgive them because they can really misbehave. Amen? Amen? And it comes to a time when I have to look at God's word. God says, love your enemies. Pray for them that despitefully use you. Bless them that curse you. It's okay if you say, leave them that curse you. But to bless? <laughs> to bless? <laughs> do good! To them that hate you. That's God's word. And I look at his word. And I look at how I feel. And I look at the people. And how they don't deserve my love. And I look at. Will I despise God's word? Or will I esteem it? It's not easy. But I always tell myself. God is wiser than me. So you let me take this road. God is wiser than me. He says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. But we think that when evil comes, you must also overcome it with a higher level evil. For the person to see that. The, so later, you see, when you are always forgiven, they take you for granted. That's worldly wisdom, and it's true. But God's word. Can you despise God's word? It's not every time I feel like preaching. There are times I don't feel like preaching. There are times I also want to sleep. There are times I'm also tired. Or somebody comes with a problem and I'm thinking, do you know the problem I came to church with? But I have to look at God's word. If God has called you, he says that you must serve the sheep that he has called you to. He says willingly. Not by constraint. Not that somebody is forcing you. But do it with all your heart. So sometimes I've taken my bag. I'm walking out. And then somebody comes. Oh, I have a very bad situation. A tragedy. It this. Okay, sit down. I'm also thinking. Of the things I have to go and do. My schedule that has been changed. But if God has called you to pastor his sheep. Then you are going to have to give something for something to happen. So when I listen to the person, sometimes I even tell them, I say, oh, is that your problem? Oh, wow. This problem is a teaspoon. Okay, I've seen a bathtub one before. Yours is a teaspoon. So you're going to be okay. And then I pray with them. And then I leave with my own problem. <laughs> Believing God to take care of it. Because I cannot despise his word. And use my own wisdom. And so, because when I put two and two together, this, so this and that and that. Because thou hast despised my commandments. And thou hast despised me. 
You see, we say that David was forgiven. Yes. But the Bible says, the sword shall never depart from thy house. Amen, somebody? As soon as Nathan said that, David in his characteristic, you see, before, when Nathan told him a story about a man who had some sheep and then he went to take a poor man's sheep instead of taking his own and the man had a lot, then David said, that man must die. He must replace by four times. That's how we are when we think it's somebody else. And... To, to correct a leader, sometimes it's not easy. So the prophet has to come and say parables because he cannot tell him directly. <laughs> so when he says a parable, then David passes the judgment and the prophet says, God says it's you. Wow. And that you have despised his word. You have despised God himself and you have despised his commandment. So because of that, David, the sword will not depart from your house. Amen. Amen. So now, all these prophecies, they come to pass. When God says, I will raise evil up against you out of your own house. In 2 Samuel 18, verse 33, evil, Absalom rises from David's own house. And so the people say, oh, so Lady Reverend Absalom was actually a curse on David. It was, but you should not decide to be the one used for wrong prophecy. You see, it's a prayer I used to pray. I always used to say, Lord, there are different prophecies. Say, because iniquity will abound, the love of many people will grow cold. I said, Lord, it's a prophecy, but I don't want to be the one used. It may be a prophecy that Jesus will be betrayed, but decide that you are not the eligible candidate to be chosen for that. The king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God have died for thee? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, evil will rise out of your own house. That's what happened. And then I will take your wives and give them to your neighbor. Second Samuel 15 verse 16. Huh. And the king went forth, and all his household after him. And the king left ten women, which were concubines, to keep the house. Verse 17. Verse 17. And the king went forth, and all the people after him tarried in a place that was afar off. 18. Well. When it says that he went forth and he left all these women. Bible says, I will take your wives and I will give them to your neighbor. Chapter 16, verse 21. Chapter 16, verse 21. Second Samuel 16, verse 21, and we are running. And Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Go into thy father's concubines, which he has left to keep the house, and all Israel shall hear that thou art aboard of thy father. Then shall all the hands of all that are with thee be strong. Verse 22. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house. And Absalom went in unto his father's concubines, in the sight of all Israel. What did God say? I will take your wives and other people will lie with them in the sight of all Israel. And it happened. How did it become like that? You despise my commandment and you despise me. Wow. 
God said, you did that secretly. But I will do this before all Israel. And he did. And then God also said, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. But the child that is born, that child shall surely die. So people say, oh, yes, David committed a sin, but God still chose Solomon. Solomon was not the son of that sin. The son of that sin was not allowed to live by God. So yes, God forgives. But sometimes you have sown a seed. The seed has to come, the harvest. And how did it start? We despise the word of God. David knew God's word, but he gave room to his passions, to his lusts. Okay. And sometimes we don't want to preach the truth because we feel that people come to church and they must hear what they want to hear. But we are servants of God. We are not employed by the congregation. We are employed by heaven. And we are not here to preach sweetness. We are here to preach God's word. Sometimes it's sweet, sometimes it's bitter. Ezekiel said, I ate the word of God. When I chewed, it became bitter in my belly. That's how God's word is. And it's not only bitter for just you. Sometimes it's bitter for us too. But that same word can be sweet as honey. Because thou hast despised my word and despised my commandment. Amen. Amen. Then you can also despise a person God has called. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 28. I pray that after this meeting, you will not despise his word. You will not despise, you, you, you will develop a certain fear and reverence for God. It's my prayer. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28. Are we there? This is a must know. We'll start from 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Amen. Amen. God has chosen things that are despised. Keep your hand there and go to 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 27. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 27. Are you there? Please, I pray that you develop a love for God's word. It will change your life. Oh. It will make you strong also as a Christian. This is when Saul was chosen by God to lead his people Israel. And when the people got to know that God has chosen Saul, Samuel has anointed him. The Bible says, but there were some scoundrels who complained, how can this man save us? And they scorned him and refused to bring him gifts. But Saul held his peace. Amen. <laughs> King James says, but the children of Belial, Belial is demons, said, how shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. If you are to please God, you cannot be moved by presents. God had chosen Saul, although Israel, God didn't want them to have a king, 
but they insisted. So God helped them choose a king. And then when he helped them choose a king, he chose Saul for them. And they said, how can this man, how? If we are to choose a king, this will not be our choice. If we are to choose a pastor here in Zurich, this will not be our choice. If we are to choose a lady reverend, this will not be our lady reverend. If we are to choose a pastor's wife, this will not be the pastor's wife who will choose for our reverend. But he met his wife before you, you met him. Amen? So the people said, we don't want this man. Where is he from? And the Bible says, they said, they despised him. They looked down on him. This we disregarded and we continue to disregard God's choice of men that he chooses for us. So when we see a man and he doesn't have airs and he's not very pompous, he's not powerful. He's not powerful. He doesn't have anointing. When he doesn't manipulate you, he's not powerful. When he looks ordinary, he's not powerful. You want a very pompous man when he's coming. There's a trumpet and uh, you want chieftaincy in the church. You want the person to look like something extraordinary. But Jesus came in the manger. And if you are going to look at the form in which he came, you will say, we don't want this man to be a king. We don't want this man to be a pastor over us. We want another pastor. I went to a church. There was a fundraising. And it was for their church building. They were holding a program for their church building. And they said that they still had arrears to pay for the church building. It was great. Then after the offering, the prophet came and said that, you have given to the church, but you must now give to the prophets. And then he called some of the people and said, you, what I have done in your life, should you not be signing a check now? Then the, late, the guy said, oh, prophet, yes. Then he took his checkbook and started to sign. And the prophet said, come and testify what I have done in your life. And then he came and said, yes. I was a lawyer, I was an attorney in London, and then things were not going well. And then at one meeting I went, the prophet came, and he gave me a word, and then that word changed my life forever. So because of that, I just want to sign a check of $5,000 to give to the prophet. Giving is personal, and giving is voluntary. I don't have any problem with that. But I realized from that meeting that People despise pastors. The pastor who feeds them every Sunday, every week, like, oh, what does he do? He just gives us verses. But the prophet you met once at a meeting, you say he spoke a prophetic word, and that has changed your life. What about the pastor who brought you to Christ, nurtured you, gave you strength when you couldn't stand, counseled your marriage? Because you see him every day. You don't see him as powerful. You just despise him. Oh, what has he done? So when they called, they said, Oh, he gave a prophetic word that the Lord says, I should now move here. And since I moved, everything has been okay. But who has sustained you? Who has given you the word? Who has prayed for you? Who has organized prayer times? Who has been by your sick bed? Who has been in prison to visit you? It's the pastor. But when you see the pastor, I said, because, you see, he doesn't come in pomp, just like Jesus. He comes in a manger. And I don't know why God chose for Jesus to be in a manger. I was saying, ah, if I'm bringing the king of kings, I would like you to know he's very special and very spectacular. I will not put him in a manger. But later, the Holy Spirit said to me, he would have been discovered easily by Herod 
if I had made him come in pomp and noise. But as he was in the manger, when the baby cries, then the cows also bray and it covers the crying. I had to protect what I was doing. It wasn't about impressing men. I had to protect what I was doing. So he had to be born in the manger so that he would not be killed early by wicked people. As for the glory, he had it already from heaven. I didn't have to prove anything. But we despise the people God brings us. And so when there's division in a church, then you're also saying, hey, we are going. Every day this, every day that. And so you look at the people and say, hey. That is why a pastor must know that it's God who called you. So if they bring you no presents, it doesn't matter. Ministry is not about presents. God himself has a way of looking after his own. Ministry is not about uh, uh, carnal things. God has a way. If God will not use you because you, you despise the person, God will raise somebody else. Always to be used. Amen. But they despised him. How shall this man save us? He has not even started working. How? When we look at him, he doesn't have what it takes to lead us as a nation. When we look at what it takes, he doesn't have what it takes. This pastor, is he anointed? He speaks so coolly. Is he anointed? He's not anointed. No oil. Amen. How shall this man save us? How shall Lighthouse save us? But Lighthouse came in a darkness when people didn't have many other churches here. Many other charismatic churches, yes. Bouquet Platz was there. But a church of this nature, multicultural, no. It was not. And Lighthouse they said, how can this church save us? But is that church who told you that Jesus loves you? How can this church say, is the church who showed you even what pastoral work is about? Because I meet many friends who say, hey, where are you going? So, I'm going to visit my sheep. Hey, your church, you visit the church members. Eh? As for us, we don't do that. Hey, if we were to add that to our work, it would be a lot. And I said, oh, but Jesus visited. The power of visitation, Bishop Dag would teach you about that. How shall this man save us? Sometimes it's a book. They say, read a book. Say, How can it save us? I want oil. They have put oil on. You now have cholesterol problem. Spiritual cholesterol problem. And you keep saying, how can this save us? But the books are changing people's lives in so, on so many continents. The books are changing people's lives. Not because I said it. But as we are there, somebody will write. Oh, Bishop. When Bishop went to Russia, loyalty and disloyalty, they have only one. They have photocopied, eh, plastered, inside out, eh, eh, translated it themselves into Russian. As it were, a big hall full of Russian-speaking pastors. Some of them crying because of what they have been through, through the church. And then he stands there and says, how did you know about me? Say, oh, somebody gave me a book. Somebody just gave me a book. But you, you look at the book and say, how, does, how can this save me? You have a book, how to pray. You will never read it. And therefore, you will never improve in your prayer life. Because you say to yourself, how shall this save me? I will give him no present. 
you despise. The prophetic is part of God's calling. And we've had many prophetic encounters in the church. A lot of things Bishop has said, they have come to pass. You just have to even listen to his messages. I see this in the future. God is going to do that because we don't come and say, thus saith the God. And because we don't say, yes, somebody here, you are wearing red underwear. Come out. No. I have a very good friend who is a prophetess. She said to me, prophecies are good and they are from God. But that is not what sustains us. As Christians, we need to eat the Bible every day. It's not prophecy. And that is why many of us go astray. But we don't even know God's word to compare the prophecy. You go, the prophet said, let me bath you. Then you take off all your clothes. He should bath you. Where is that scripture? A married woman, he should bath you. He says, oh, you are married to somebody in the spirit. So take off your clothes. I want to bath you. And that one, you don't say anything. But when they say in the church, we are doing this project every day. How shall this man save us? And they despised him. We like things that are effortless. We don't want to read the Bible and know how to pray. So no, you pray for me. I know a rich man. He has employed somebody to pray for him. But God wants to know you himself and have a relationship with you. And when you get to heaven, he says, I don't know you. And then people say, oh, we did this in your name. We did this. Depart from me. I don't know you. He knows your prophet, but you, he does not know you. He even knows your pastor because your pastor prays for you. But how to pray yourself? No. Bishop Dag has written demons and how to deal with them. You won't read. You don't know. You won't listen to a message to podcast to which is free. You will say, how shall this save me? You're always depressed. The Bible says, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There's a lot of spirit of heaviness in Switzerland. And unless you put on the garment of praise, and how do I know it? Just by reading the word of God. It's not because I'm a superwoman. It's just the word of God. It will tell you. That is a spirit of heaviness. It is not a mood. It's a spirit that drives you and says, it's not worth living. End it all. It's not worth going on. It's not worth it. This morning I was reading my quiet time. I was so charged. I looked at Psalm 27. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. I said, God, I thank you that I am not the stronghold of my life. You are the stronghold of my life. Nice word like this. You won't read it. Then you are taking antidepressants. Antidepressants. Then you go to people who are more demon-filled than you. And they say they are helping you. And you are getting worse. There's a dark hole and you are going inside. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. The church that you will come to for the joy also to be kindled. That one too you won't come. And so I will tell you, you know, today you are very depressed. You better not go to church. That's the more reason to be in the presence of God. Because the demons flee. How shall this man save us? How shall this book save us? How shall this word save us? How shall this church save us? And they despised him. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.28. Not many noble. 
Okay? Not many great people are called by God. Because God makes us into what he wants us to be. We don't come already made. If you come already made, then you don't need the Holy Spirit. You are, you are, you are, you are okay. But as for me, I really need the Holy Ghost. And without him, I can do nothing. Sometimes people write a question and ask, how do you behave as a bishop's wife? I said, there's nothing like that. Just be a Christian. <laughs> there's nothing like a bishop's wife. Just be a Christian. Love God. Love the people. Forgive. Walk in humility. It's all God's word. When you do that, you are okay. But when you say bishop's wife, you are looking at title. And the most important thing is to be a child of God, not a bishop's wife. So before you became the bishop's wife, you were nothing. No, you were a child of God. And that lasts more. When you are no more, you are no more the bishop's wife. But you continue to be a child of God. Nobody can take that away from you. So even your identity comes from the word of God. The word, you will not soak it in. Every day, demons are playing in your house. Every day. Demons. Sexual healing. They say you can be healed through sexual. And that's what you are soaking in. But the, you know, don't tell me music does not affect you. Sometimes you are going somewhere you don't even feel like. You, you are thinking about something else. And when the music, before you know it. Music affects you whether you like it or not. Amen, somebody. Yeah. And when you fill your house or even your car with praise and worship, the mood changes. The atmosphere changes. And something else comes into your home. Most of us, our homes are filled with demons because of the things we are allowed to come in. And then we say, well, how can music affect us? How can this man save us? How can worship music affect us? How can Holy Ghost music affect us? And we despise what God uses. Amen. Amen. You see, you are busy going here. Eh? And then Globus, you are making a parcel. When they ask you, you say, Father's Day. Say, Wait, where are you taking the Father's Day present to my boss? But the man that God chose and feeds you spiritually, you have not thought about it. This boss, what does he do for you? What does he do for you that today he's your father? What does he do for you? Or some prophetess you met once. She has become now your mother. Just that one encounter, she's your mother. And that lady reverend who preaches, feeds you, cares for you, helped you on your foot, on your feet, helped you where you could. Hello. Even my happy Mother's Day cry is not part of it. How shall this man save us? We despise. The Bible says God has chosen the things that are despised. He's chosen it. Wow. So you may despise a person, but God will still use a person. Amen. Amen. You see, we went to South Africa. The first time South Africa was independent. And the people had invited us. They had heard of Bishop, whatever they had invited. And when we went, I went with just my husband. And when we arrived at the airport, the people looked past us and said, and where is the bishop? And then I said, oh, this is the bishop. Ah, we were expecting an old man with gray hair. <laughs> and I said, oh, why? He said, well, because of the things he says and the articles we've read. We're expecting a very old man. We didn't know he's a young bishop like this. Because we often despise the containers. 
God uses. Amen? Amen. You want something spectacular. How can this man save us? How? How? When we look at him, how can such a person save us? And they despised him. God forgive us. The last thing we can despise, the last thing we can despise is small things. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10. Hmm. Some of us, everything our church is doing is not exciting and good. Everything your church is doing, you despise. And you, you want something else. That doesn't even exist. Hmm. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Zechariah is not in the New Testament. Amen. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. You can despise pastors, men of God, a person God has called to be in your life. Zechariah 4, verse 10. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Amen. Amen. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Amen. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Lighthouse Chapel believes in small beginnings. The church in Ghana, by the grace of God, I was there when it started in a small, obscure classroom in Kolibu, the main teaching hospital in Accra, Ghana. And it wasn't even at the main gate, so that when you come, you see that there's a church here. You have to walk so many meters inside and turn left. And when you turn left and you come into the building, some down below room of five people. Small beginnings. Five people. Five people who every time, at least every Friday, we attended a prayer meeting. Praying. Praying. God, save your people. God, bring salvation to Kolebu and its environs. I can testify that we never prayed for church growth because we didn't even know what it was. Amen? When I was getting married, there was no marriage counseling. Because I'm the first generation. I'm the first wedding in the church. Amen? And we even went to town to look for pastors to counsel us. Because we're young people from the universities. Oh, please, can you add us to your counseling program? No. Some of them even said, God does not use professionals. And therefore, since you are a doctor, your wife is a lawyer, it's not going to work. God does not use professor. God uses people who have called into full-time ministry. Period. And yet in that classroom, we always used to pray that people would be saved. All that I knew about church work was preach the gospel, save them, baptize them, follow up. That's all I knew. And that's all we prayed for. Wow. Small beginnings. 
I remember going for a meeting one day and I was in a taxi with a schoolmate of mine who didn't know then that my beloved was my beloved. So she said, oh, you are getting down on this junction. Where are you going? I said, oh, I'm going to a church in this. Ah, that church that has been started by a medical student. Are you sure about his calling? Is he really a man of God? Can God use him? And she didn't know that it was my beloved. So I said, oh, I believe so. And then I got down and went for my service. There are many things we didn't pray about. But we were very excited about what God was doing. It looked small, but we're not looking at size. We're looking at what God was doing. And so we moved from that little room in basic sciences. And we came to now have our prayer meetings outside. When everybody is sleeping in front of basic science, open. Every car passing sees us because we had nowhere. Then after that, to the canteen where people eat. That is where the church came to. And then when the Lord gave us a place to move to, it was a dilapidated cinema hall with rubbish you've never seen before. Skyscrapers. <laughs> no roof, nothing. My own sister came there from London and said to Bishop, hmm, are you sure this place? She had an attitude. But later she came there to worship. And when we're going there, Bishop just draped himself in the banner and like David, he danced and danced. And, and at that time we were moving, we had the branch in Geneva and they were looking at the pictures and they said, hey, it must have meant a lot to you and eh, this building. You know, small things being despised. But we moved in there and gradually started to do it up. To do it up. Among a lot of opposition and yet God brought us through. Today, by the grace of God, Lighthouse Chapel is more than 1,600 branches and counting. And it's on so many continents. How did it start? Small beginnings. Small beginnings. My husband says that the only job that starts from the top is grave digging and well digging. There's no other job that starts from the top. And we are still not afraid as a church to start things humbly and small. When we have an AOFM, it's even one person. We start. When we start a church, sometimes only one person comes. Other people despise it. How can you say it's a church? Only one person attended. How does, Bishop always says this story. Somebody said, so how many people are in the church? The church had just started. And Bishop said, oh, the church in London. Oh, about 10 people. I said, don't call it a church. It's a fellowship. It is not a church. It is a fellowship. And Bishop said, well, to us, it's a church. And we don't despise the small things that God uses. Now, by the grace of God, when the church grew, it's one of the biggest in the UK now. Then that same pastor came to say, can I please preach in your church? I'm going to the UK. And Bishop said, oh, the fellowship? You want to preach in the fellowship? Because the work of God starts small. Many things God does are not flamboyant. Many things God does are silent, but they are nonetheless powerful. So when you are told to start an AOFM, don't say nobody came. It's only my wife and children. That is how our churches start. And by the grace of God, we don't believe in going to break somebody's own and carrying it across. And then within a day, we have all these people and they are shepherds or pastors. No. That's instant church. We don't do instant church. We do block upon block, precept upon precept, line upon line. 
brick upon brick, God builds his church. Amen? Amen. Yes, I preach to a lot of large groups, but I have learned not to be moved by that. If a small fellowship calls me and I can go, I go. And these days, they are often very surprised. They will say to my assistant, LPBM, how come she agreed to, to come? And then when I go and they are introducing me, they say, yes, mommy, they are not lighthouse chairs. We, we know we are not very big, but uh, we are very honored by your presence. And so when I come, I say, how many are we here? And maybe they'll say 50, 60, 100, whatever. Then I say, well, the Bible says, where two or three? God starts with two or three. I gathered in my name. And then they are missed. Amen. Who has despised the day of small things? Hallelujah. Amen. Young people, some of you, you want to marry an already made man. At all costs. <laughs> when I met my husband, he was a medical student. He had not even started working. And when we started working, I was any more than him. And so when he's going to work, he's going to the ward or something, then he'll be going. His father had bought him a car, so he'll be going. Then he'll come and say, Mommy, excuse me, do you have something there for petrol? Something there. Of course I have something there. <laughs> the day of small beginnings. Do I have something there? I have something there. Then I'll give him. So add this to your money. To, to balance the petrol. And then he will move. Amen. Amen. Some people cannot marry somebody who doesn't have anything. Or somebody who is now starting life. They can't. Young people, amen. amen. And then the men too. When the women have toiled with you and you come on top. Then you forget. The humble beginnings and where God brought you from. Now when she told you, say, hey, well, you, you, you don't have a say in my money. Whatever. But when you were poor, she had a say. <laughs> Suddenly, now that you have money, she doesn't have a say. And that's what sometimes dissuades women from humble beginnings. Because they know that when, you see the Bible says, when thou have eaten, and thou art full, and thou art built goodly houses, then thou shalt remember, even God, he knows that you can forget him when you prosper. How much more your wife? Despise not the day of small things. Amen. If you despise small things, you can't do God's work. Because when you start evangelizing, small things, small efforts, you say, why were they rude to me? They don't respect at all. But when you are a servant of God, you are a servant, you are nothing. And you suffer all things for his name's sake. Amen. When you go and visit people, like I told you yesterday, the guy asked Bishop, so why exactly are you here? What exactly is your motive? Why exactly have you visited me in my house to tell me about Jesus? Is there a hidden motive somewhere? Is there a hidden agenda? If you despise small things, you can't do AOFM. You can't do Basel. Because the people who come today, they won't come tomorrow. But the day of small things... It's God's secret to lifting you up.
And I want to close with Isaiah chapter 60 verse 14, which is God's promise to us. Isaiah 60 verse 14. God's promise to us. Hallelujah. Isaiah. Are you there? Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah is not in the Old, in the New Testament. Isaiah is one of the many books. It's one of the books that has a lot of chapters. The descendants of your tormentors, I'm reading from New Living Translation, will come and bow before you. Those who despised you will kiss your feet. They will call you the city of the Lord and Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Though you were once despised and hated with no one traveling through you, I will make you beautiful forever, a joy to all generations. This is God's promise. God is saying that in the face of being despised, we can stand on his promise. He said, all they that despise thee, 14, shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet. And they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Verse 15. Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, or despised and hated, so that no man went through thee, I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. When you are despised because of your faith, when you are despised because of your work with God, young people, peer pressure. You are despised in school because they say you are queer and you are different. The Bible says, they that despised you shall come and bow down at your feet. You won't make them. God will make them. Hallelujah. You can't make people bow down. But God says, I will let them bow down at the soles of your feet or the soles. Not just your feet, the soles of your feet. And then they will call you the Holy One of the Lord. They'll suddenly change what they say about you. That's what the glory of God does. That's what obedience to God does. That's what following God does. They will call you the Holy One of the Lord. Amen. Amen. The city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. And God says, he will not just make you an excellency. It will be an eternal one. A never-ending excellency. Yes, when we started and we were in the ministry, many despised us. This verse has literally happened to us. God has sent people who just bow down at our feet and say, Bishop, anything. Not necessarily even from our church. Bishop, I just want to save you. I just want to do anything. People come to me, Lady Reverend, is there anything you want? Anything you need? And some of them are the ones who despised us. They come and they bow down. At your feet. And God makes you an eternal excellency. We will not seek for the glory of man. 
But may we walk on and not despise things that God holds secret and dear. Don't despise the church that God has made. Don't despise the pastor that God has given you. Don't despise the blessings and promises of God that have come through the church he has given you. Don't despise your relationship with God. Don't sell your birthright for a pot of soup or a morsel of meat. But recognize that he's a God of small things and he will bring us through in Jesus' name. Stand to your feet, please. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.